Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Jin Ha to talk all about Apple TV Plus's Pachinko. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about is the work that you did so extensively with your dialect coach, Yumi Kang, because I'm so fascinated by the extensiveness of that process, the fact that it was over several months in, and it sounds like it was a journey of deconstructing the scripts within Korean before translating them to Japanese and then translating them to English, um, yeah. and was so interested and how the two of you really figured out what the most conducive process to really mastering this character, mastering this role and all the different kind of dialects that came with that for your performance. Um, I think this is a, the appropriate forum for me to like actually dive into the nitty gritty of that. Um, yeah. Because you already touched on so many of, of the pieces of it. Um, so Yumi Kang, as you, as you cited, was she essentially... I don't think Solomon Beck would have existed without Yumi Kang, truly. She is a unicorn of a dialect coach and uh, almost acting coach as well for me because of us having to craft the performance in the Japanese language, um, in addition to learning the language, you know, in and of itself. The process was incredibly complex and detailed, as you mentioned. It would start with Sue, Hugh, our, our showrunner and creator, having written the script in English, and then she would have that translated by a team into Japanese and Korean, which would then be back translated by another team of translators back to English so that she could then give notes on um, how she felt about the translation, whether she felt, you know, this is an appropriate cultural translation that was needed, or I would like this to be closer to what my original meaning was, et cetera, et cetera. From that, Yumi and I would receive the Japanese and Korean scripts. The Korean for us, because I speak Korean, we were able to talk about and break down and work on um, just the Japanese dialect that I would have as Solomon, because Solomon is born and raised in Japan. He, he learned Korean at home and maybe a little bit at school, we, we surmised, but it would still be heavily influenced by Japanese language. And so I actually used Yumi's natural uh, Japanese accent in her Korean as a, a plate, so to speak, for Solomon's Korean as well. Um, and then within Japanese, Yumi would have received the Japanese scripts. She would then transliterate the Japanese text into Korean letters phonetically. I would then receive that. And then she would also, you know, break down the, the, trans, uh, the definitions as well of the, of the lines and in Korean. And then I would transliterate the Korean text into Roman letters and English phonetics um, so that I could better read it and memorize it. Um, and then this next step was also because Yumi happens to be an actor herself, we were able to do scene, scene analysis, essentially do break down the text and have conversations with each other about, okay, this is the, this is the emotional place that I'm coming from when I enter the scene. Here's my objective. Here are the obstacles that I, I feel like Solomon is facing in this moment. If these were the circumstances for you, how would you imagine you delivering this line? Because even though Japanese is not a tonal language like Mandarin, say, um, there are, just like English, very natural ways um, musicalities of sentences that if slightly different will stick out to someone who speaks the language uh, fluently. 
as perhaps slightly off or something feels, uh, you know, unfamiliar in that way. Like even the way that in English, you know, whether we go down on a sentence or we go up on a sentence or what operative words do we stress and emphasize that makes the biggest difference um, when I am trying to achieve the perception of full fluency. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's a big gap between sounding language and trying to pass as fluent. Uh, and we, the, a lot of our work was taking the lines and the work with a microscope and trying to fine tune exactly where is my pitch variety, um, which words do I emphasize in this? Where can I pace what could be, you know, as, as somebody's thinking, you know, and thinking and speaking at the same time as we all do, there's different pacing to how I speak. Even how I'm speaking my sentences now, sometimes I speak quite rapidly through part of it and then I'll stop at some point. And it's, we, we, were, we were doing a lot of work of trying to find options, which sounded natural in both the Osaka and um, Kanto dialects, which is the Tokyo dialect. Um, because Solomon, we decided had, was born and raised in Osaka and spoke an Osaka dialect with family and, and close friends like Hana, um, but then had worked uh, in Tokyo as well um, and had learned that standard dialect as well. And so it was, it was tr like truly the most detailed and microscopic uh, like the minutia that we were focusing on was truly remarkable. And it felt like I was in some sort of linguistics doctorate program, you know, trying to break down and understand like every different turn and, and facet of the Japanese languages as best as I could. That I mean, was such the, a long-winded answer. <laughs> no, but I'm absolutely fascinated by these details. And yeah. especially when you're talking about the, the tonality and the rhythm and the pacing of the dialogue, because obviously that pertains to language, but that also pertains to character and particularly with Solomon, yeah. because, you know, I know you've talked, you talked about him as a character who code switches, you know, who he is in the office, how he talks to people there is very different to how he talks to his grandmother, how he talks to family, um, mm -hmm. you know, how he talks to the landowner when he's trying to kind of build a connection with her as well. And so yeah. there's that added layer as well on top of everything that you were just talking about. And right. so how did you take it that next level and find the nuances of how is it that he's speaking? What's the, what's the difference in terms of pacing, depending on which characters he's interacting with and which setting he's in as well? That's it. You know, that, that is the question. That is the, the challenge of um, the entire shoot was that everything I have just explained up until this point um, was just the first couple of steps to getting to a final performance that we're seeing on the screen. Um, something else that I, I forgot to mention too was we created a shorthand. You know, maybe we can patent this if we keep if we keep working on it. But we created a shorthand of annotation on the paper to denote like, oh, this is when I could take a breath if I wanted to. This is when um, I, I would use lines to denote pitches of, of sentences. So, you know, if, if a sentence was written like this, then I'd say, well, it starts about in the mid range of my voice. And then in this word or in this syllable of the word, it kicks up and then immediately goes down like that. It was like literally that sort of amount of detail that I, we had, an, um, we had broken out every single line of text of mine in that manner. 
the next step was me trying to memorize it so deeply that I could forget the text, right? That, that's a goal, I think, uh, most of the time when I'm working on a, a role, but specifically, especially for this task to try to act on top of all of this technical work that I'm juggling in my mind was um, on paper, seemingly an impossible task. And it was day to day for me, you know, some days I'd feel really confident about the scenes that I'm, I'm coming into. And then other days it'd be, you know, a five minute scene in all Japanese, mostly with Naomi's character, uh, with Naomi. And those were the days that Yumi and I knew from day one, it was like, well, we're going to have to work the hardest on those scenes to prepare, um, to have all of those monologues. So second nature in my, my, my mouth and my body that I could then be present on the day and actually be listening and receiving um, and breathing together with my scene partners uh, in telling the story, right? Because the, the, the hardest part is the work is an incredibly difficult part of it. But in my opinion, the hardest part is letting go of that work is getting to a place of ease where, um, you know, in theater, often the idea is to always be more possibly forget one's lines so that it feels uh, alive in the moment, as opposed to this is the seventh time I've done it this week. Similar, it felt like a similar process for me with this role, even though it was TV, I needed to have established that amount of comfort and familiarity with the text and all of the subtext and the thoughts that we've mapped out within each scene. So much so that by the time I'm on set and with my scene partners in my costume, with my props for the first time, I cannot, I, 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 I won't be thinking about the text work at all. Do you know what I mean? The hope is by that point, that's the last thing I'm thinking about because at that moment I want to uh, be here and not here. <laughs> uh, no, I yeah, I and, and that's yeah to be determined, I suppose. Uh, how, how you know how's it how's it looking? <laughs> it looks pretty great from from the episodes I've seen oh, so far great. in the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the other spaces as well where 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 it pulls in that idea of of doing the work beforehand so that you can mm -hmm. let it go, but kind of finding how it influences character is also the extensive research that you did because yeah. in a show like this that's telling multi generational stories it's not just about who Solomon is in his storyline, but it's, you know, his family lineage, their history, their experience. And there's that really interesting exploration in him of what are the parts of him that exist because of his family's experiences, because of choices that they've made in their lives and their journeys. And then what are the ways in which he's really trying to forge his own path? And, and I know that there was extensive research that went into a lot of that as well even to the degree mm -hmm. of okay well what would have been happening in Japan when his dad was this age um, right. and so every day was just kind of building even more and more of a backstory in addition to everything that the scripts gave you in addition to everything that the book gave you and so what was that part of the journey of of a lot of the historical factual information that you were looking up and how that really helped you to shape the two dynamics of, of Solomon as a character with his history informing him mm-hmm The blessing that comes with preparing and performing a character like Solomon is that 
so much of the work in terms of research has already been done for me. Um, not in terms of, I, I mean, I had hours and hours of just reading uh, articles and, and essays and uh, excerpts of textbooks throughout the months of research. And also a lot of YouTube videos actually, which are incredible resources in terms of having access to um, what is it like primary resources, like video footage maybe from obviously 70s, 80s, 90s, mm -hmm. uh, the music. I, I, for me, I always start with music with any job that I have. It's, it's always my jumping off point of like, what was the music that Solomon would have been listening to, not just as a young adult, um, when, you know, when he was growing up, going to school, uh, boarding high school in Connecticut and studying at, was it Yale, I think? Yeah, Yale um, in our show. What's the music of the 80s then? And then further, further back, what's the music that he would have heard growing up in the household that his parents or his grandparents listened to and sort of served as a, the background, the backdrop of his youth uh, or walking down the street? What would be the sort of ads that would be playing, you know, on the, the, the windows, um, what do you call it, the shop windows? Um, and I sort of, for me, it's always following just threads of curiosity. Uh, and what I mean by half of the work was done for me is that, is that Min Jin Lee's book itself is so incredibly well and deeply researched and rooted in um, historical fact, but on top of that, interviews, first person interviews of women who were of Sanja's generation and experience. Um, there was the book that at the very beginning that uh, uh, I believe it's Jackie, it might be Jackie Lee, I can't remember, but it's called Hidden, Tre the book is called Hidden Treasures. And it's a series of interviews that uh, this Japanese Korean writer recorded and transcribed with older women of the Zainichi generation, um, of her parents and grandparents generation. And it's clear reading through those interviews, how much Min Jin Lee pulled from those stories directly in crafting uh, this incredibly intricate history and legacy of Sanja's family, of Sanja and her family. And um, those were incredibly useful as jumping off points for me of, oh, I see, this was mentioned in this part of their history. It's, it, you know, it's sort of like Forrest Gump where it's like this family experienced this part of that history that I had learned of from undergrad years ago let me go revisit that subject and just follow, you know, go through <laughs> the search engine, you know, rabbit holes of like, well, this relates to this event that happened in um, world economics in like 1988. Well, actually that, that bust in 1989 was a lead up from like the boom that was happening, you know, for several years. And it just goes on and on and on for, for weeks. And at for for weeks before and through our shooting, my laptop was, uh, my browser was almost always had about 20 plus tabs that are open for me that I'm like, I will eventually get to reading these articles or these essays. Um, I love that part for me. For, that's such a joy for me as, a, as, a, as an actor to have a reason or rather my job as an actor is to learn as much as I can about a new subject with every job most of the time. Um, and with this job, Pachinko was certainly the most material that I had to research and cover in terms of what would have been 
second nature to Solomon, right? Like for us growing up, the events of our lives, we know so much about because we've lived through them. And we all talked about it at the time. We talked about it afterwards. We reflected on it. Um, there are shifts in culture because of those moments in our lifetime. And so similarly, it would, for me, it was like, what would be the main events of Solomon's youth and lifetime, not just personally, but that events that are happening around the world and in Japan and in New York that would have influenced him and, and how he sees the world. Um, that was the, the line of questioning that I followed in, in a lot of my research with him. Um, and then a lot of it was just personal reflection, right? Because it's, it's so much of his own, his experience as a, as a Zainichi immigrant, not just in Japan, but also in America, those experiences for me in terms of trying to assimilate and trying to fit in in a space where clearly he does not in so many ways. I'm familiar with that myself as an Asian American, having come here when I was eight. Um, so it was, it was a lot of outside in and inside out work for Solomon. I, I don't think I've had the privilege of, a, of working on a role that was so deeply personal um, for me. And in, in speaking a little bit more about the scenes where it's Solomon and, and Sunja, what's beautiful about those scenes is the way that Solomon really gives her the space to tell her stories, to have those moments of reflection. And so because you were bringing up the idea before of, of just that necessary presence that you have to have in active listening, did you find that in those scenes in particular, there was even more of an opportunity to do that and, and to kind of show up as a scene partner in that way? Because it's not about Solomon being the first person to say something in those rooms and spaces. It's about him sitting back and listening and giving other people space. That's interesting. Uh, I didn't find... I didn't feel a difference in terms of the, uh, the element of active listening with, with my grandmother, with Sanja or with YJ. Um, it wasn't different from any other scene. I felt like generally speaking, because of the elements of the Korean and Japanese languages, I was actively listening every single time because I needed to. <laughs> Uh, from a practical sense for my cue lines, I just wanted to make sure I was catching the cue line so that I could respond in time. Uh, but in addition to that, it's also because the languages are not, um, neither Korean nor Japanese are my uh, uh, first language. I guess Korean is kind of my first language, but uh, English is my, I'm most fluent in English. And because of that, I had to be so much more attentive. I mean, I, I perhaps it's all, I always am because that's my my goal. But when when I don't speak the language that I'm that people are speaking to me, and I have to act with them, I will listen very hard. <laughs> I will be listening very hard because I want to a be the best scene partner that I can for for my my castmates, but also I don't want to be made to look like a fool <laughs> do you know what i mean it's it's also like anyway i'm, I'm digressing uh what was your what was your oh yj um yes but specifically separate from that working with yj was a dream right she is a living legend and for me to be able to have gotten to know her and and we've become quite good friends because we get along quite well I think we have very similar temperaments, um, which work beautifully for our scenes because 
very quickly there was, uh, funnily enough, a sense of camaraderie between us. Um, and we also share the same birthday, we found out. Uh, a couple of years apart, but we had the same, same birthday. Um, and for me, I was actively listening to YJ because I wanted to learn from her. <laughs> whenever I had an opportunity, whenever we had scenes together, for me, in my mind, I was always being present and trying to be as, as uh, helpful and honest of a scene partner as possible. But in the back of my mind, I'm also observing and being like, okay, what is she doing? Like, oh, I see. How is she preparing for Oh, wow. She just dropped right into that, didn't she? Okay, well, that's, oh, there's so much ease there. You know, it's like this... For me, I felt like the, the scene where I got to watch uh, the, land, the landlady and my grandmother speaking at the, the dinner table, for me, that was a masterclass all day. I, I had the honor of just sitting at that table watching these two brilliant actors at work. And my job was to eat food and occasionally check in with my grandmother. But it, truly, that was one of my most unforgettable days on set because I felt like I was in rarefied air and I was worried that I was like, I'm going to forget my lines because I'm just watching them perform in front of me. It was yeah, a really, uh, it's incredibly inspiring for me to see, to be surrounded by so many incredible Korean actors um, as examples to, to look up to as, oh, I see, there's also a level of craft that I can always strive for and I have people who look like me who are setting these examples. That's and I get amazing. to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And eat, eat food and listen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also talking a little bit about some of the trajectory for Solomon as a character, you know, there obviously was that great moment and that, that shift for him when so much had been about him being driven by his career when he sits there and, and actually encourages the landowner not to take the deal. Um, and in particular, I wanted to talk about the scene that comes after where hmm. he's outside in the rain dancing because it was such a beautiful scene and it felt very much like a character kind of coming back to his roots, a lot of things that are coming to the surface for him. And then kind of in the, the scenes in the episodes following, it's great to watch your performance because there's this kind of deconstruction in the way that he hmm. is becoming even more self-reflective as a character as well. And what are the implications of this decision that I made? Because essentially I just blew everything up. Yeah. Um, and so what's been the, the joy of that exploration for you with him as a character, being able to have a scene like that moment right after in the rain with the music, and then to really look at the ramifications and what that means for him as a character and how that influences your performance following. That's really, um, yeah. It's interesting because you're speaking to the, the progression and the arc of the character as told through the show. And I'm thinking back on the way we shot it. And that was, you know, most of the time is out of sync. And so that day, uh, I'm completely following you on, on the, the trajectory that you're pointing to, the sort of like the folk point of fulcrum, the fulcrum point where it sort of seesawed into, um, before and after that conference meeting for Solomon. Uh, that, that day in the rain, in the rain, dancing in the rain and running was actually my first day of shooting um, entirely. And it was the first day of shooting in Korea. And um, it was really fascinating to have that be 
the kickoff to my experience on the production because you know, I did one short scene with maybe one or two lines earlier in the day, but most of my day was no lines, just me sprinting <laughs> downstairs, across courtyards, upstairs, like truly hours and hours of me sprinting as fast as I could, which was so liberating for me as an actor who tends to be incredibly cerebral. Um, I loved that my first introduction to meeting Solomon on set was just running for his life, truly. Legs were jelly by the end of the day. And then by 2 a.m., I think that's when we started shooting the, the dance sequence with the band at the subway. And the rain was maybe about 3 a.m. So it was, it was beautifully structured that by the time we were meeting Solomon in this moment of full release and just letting go of all the masks and the weights that he's been juggling, was also when I, the actor, <laughs> was letting go and fully releasing into my utter exhaustion of having just spent the entire day sprinting around in a suit. Um, and then to begin my work with Solomon after that was, I, I really, I don't think it was planned, but it was such a beautiful coincidence to quite literally take myself out of my head right the, the character had been so rooted in this technical work of the language and the history and the research um, and his his work in finance as well what that entails and yet i'm meeting solomon jin is meeting solomon at this point of explosion of chaos uh, and then to sort of put the pieces back together as we continue to shoot was a really exciting way for me to, to get to know a character. Um, I'm trying to remember now, but uh, the other part of your question that you had, because it was great. Something about, could you, could you remind me something about the- Essentially how like that arc allows you to, to look at like the deconstruction oh, yes. of a character yes. with everything that then comes to the surface for him. I mean, I'm, I'm just grateful. Frankly, I'm just grateful that you picked up on that arc because that was our hope, right? That there would be a Solomon before, and then there's that uh, life-changing moment for him. And then the catalyst and then um, Solomon after. And uh, we tried to keep that in mind, right? I, for me, it was personally like, I, I, it's hard to tell how much of it reads from my perspective, but the hope is I can, prepare the work as carefully and as specifically as I can and trust that it will come through to an audience. Um, but there were a lot of even superficial details that I remember trying to keep in mind of how does he carry his face? I'm really interested in micro gestures, um, sometimes too much, but I'm fascinated, especially in the screen medium, the film and TV medium, of the stories and the thoughts and feelings that can be communicated to an audience with the slightest of movements. Um, not that one needs to be stilted or stiff. It, it can't be at all. It needs to be incredibly uh, natural, but there are ways to, it's just fascinating for me to, it's, an, it's a never ending study and an investigation for me of, of how we communicate non-verbally 
um, what's, how do we understand what subtext is? We all understand subtext. How? <laughs> what are the calculations that our brain is subconsciously doing and making to uh, receive or interpret or process how somebody outside of us might be feeling or thinking without having expressed anything explicitly? Um, so similarly for me, a lot of the breaking down of Solomon's character was who is he when he speaks English? Like you mentioned, like the languages are a huge part because how we communicate, how we literally speak affects how we hold our faces, how we hold our, our lips, um, where we speak from in our throats. Uh, you know, all of these details that I had studied from singing, I applied just to speaking as well. Uh, and then for me, I remember thinking when Solomon is speaking English, especially the context in which he's speaking English, which is almost always in the context of, of work, of business, uh, of like New York finance, so to speak. I wanted that to feel the most held. I wanted that to feel the most, the thickest of masks. Um, and that was in my mind, literally translating it to like, how does he, does he have a bit of more of a smirk in that, in, in those moments versus when he's at home in his childhood home with his family speaking Japanese or Korean, does, is there a physical way that I can manifest his comfort and his familiarity with that space versus when we find him in Shifley's? Um, I don't know if it worked, but that, those were the things that I was thinking about. Those are the things that we worked on with you, that I worked on with Yumi, with our directors, with Sue, certainly. Um, it was that amount of detail that we went into for the prep. And I'm, and I'm just one of, you know, dozen characters that we have series regulars that we have on the show that we follow, um, who in my opinion are all doing extraordinarily nuanced and stunning work as well. Yeah, I mean, the technicality of everything that you had to do for this role is so impressive, uh, you know, but it's also such an, a great emotionally connected character and performance. And yeah. I'm so impressed with everything that you've done with, with the show so far. Can't wait to watch oh, the last thanks. couple of episodes. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I hope, you got some, I hope you got something out of all that.